Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our guest is Dr. Bernie Siegel, and our topic today is Grief, Loss, Hope, and Healing. Dr. Bernie Siegel is a world-renowned physician and leader in the field of health and healing. He has written numerous groundbreaking books. His latest book, Buddy's Candle, is a great healing aid for grieving children dealing with the loss of a loved one. It takes the reader on a journey through life and death with the promise of forever. Bernie continues to assist in the breaking of new ground in the field of healing and personally struggling to live the message of kindness and love. Please visit his website at BernieSiegelMD.com. Welcome to the show, Bernie. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> hey, Bernie. It's great to have you on today. Thank you. Well, I was uh, just looking through some of your older books that I read a long time ago, Peace, Love, and Healing, and Life, Medicine, and Miracles, and some of those great books. And I wanted you to talk a little bit, as you do in those books, about you were a surgeon, right? Yes. Well, you and know what happened? What motivated me is really what your whole show is about. Doctors are not trained to deal with loss. When you have a patient die or a complication, you have meetings. I, I, what's interesting is the, the morbidity and mortality conference, it, it, its nickname is Black Book. Think about that. See? Hmm. You go to the Black Book conference. And uh. what you do there is classify everything. So you classify deaths and complications. You know, is it the doctor's error, patient's? you know, condition and so forth. Uh-huh. Um, it's meant to help improve care, you know, that you look at these things. But often I would raise my hand and say, can I tell you how I feel? And the chief of surgery knew I was just being a pest, and he would say, Siegel, sit down. Um, but it, it's a big issue because if you care about people, see, there are a lot of doctors who don't, go into medicine because they care about people. It has more to do with their psychological problems and their personalities. <laughs> Look at a Jack Kevorkian, okay, who ends up in prison because mm-hmm. he can't control death. Um, Carl Menninger, the psychiatrist, made me laugh because he said, Bernie, what if you become a surgeon as a reaction formation to your destructive tendencies? And I often say that to people. You know, I say, yeah, I, I'm very violent, and so this way I cut people up and I never end up in jail. I mean, <laughs> you know, what if you need to fail? You grow up with parents who tell you you're a failure. Maybe you'd say, you know, I think I'll be an oncologist because then I can't cure everything. But how do you feel, and what does it do to you in the relationship with patients? And Yeah, and, and so you met with uh, Carl Simonton? Yes, I started attending conferences. He and Elizabeth Kubler-Ross were my two biggest helps. Um, let me just say first, because I was talking about loss, Elizabeth, I drew a picture for her at one of her life, death, and transition workshops. Um, and when I was there, I realized the patients didn't want me to cure everything. Uh, they wanted me to just help them. But Elizabeth said to me, what are you covering up? And I said, what do you mean? She said, you made snow on a mountain. I said, yeah, it's a mountain with snow in this picture. She said, Bernie, you took a white crayon and added a layer. The page is already white. What are you covering up? Uh-huh. And I realized it was all my pain. 
Then when Carl Simonton's workshop came into New Haven, my assumption was, because it was, you know, how to help cancer patients, that it was for doctors, and the room would be full of doctors. Well, I went to the meeting, and of 125 people, there were two psychotherapists and myself, the only health professionals there. And, and his workshops, as I remember them way back, were about how a kind of, he was the first person that dared say that the way you thought could impact your physical That's health, right. right? And your imagery and visualization. See, again, I was a non-believer. I went there to help me help cancer patients. And what changed me was the fact that my patients were in the room sitting next to me. And this quote was from a young woman with breast cancer. You're a nice guy. I feel better when I'm in the office with you, but I can't take you home with me, so I need to know how to live between office visits. Boom. That was like a knock on the head. I thought, wow, if I go back to my office and help people live, I don't have to feel like a failure. I'm helping them live, even if I can't cure something. You know, that's so interesting, Bernie, that you're saying that, because I was in uh, a nurse, and one of the things that I found, actually I was um, a clinical nurse specialist, and I traveled around the whole hospital at the University of Rochester, and what I found was the cancer doctors, I thought they would be like the most compassionate, mm. and I found that they kind of deserted their patients when they were finally um, not able to help them anymore. Yeah, because they don't want to deal with the pain. See, when you do studies at the hospital and say, how does it feel to be a doctor? an oncologist, surgeon, the doctors all say, well, I think. No, I asked you how you felt. I think I'm telling you. you. If you repeated the question three to five times, they finally said, oh, you want to know how I feel? Yeah, that was the question. And that's when they'll admit that if they got close to patients, it'll hurt more. And I, it'll hurt more. And I realized the opposite was true. If I went to funerals, I was restored by the families. Um, they helped me because they knew I cared. But the other thing I woke up to, Carl said, we're going to do guided imagery, because he also worked with drawings, you know, draw your white cells. I mean, one thing that I learned, that it isn't about killing. In other words, if you said, okay, Pac-Man are killing your cancer cells, um, a lot of people aren't comfortable with killing. So we can right. get into that if you want later. But, so I use the word eliminate, you know, not kill. Uh, but anyway, Carl said, we're going to do guided imagery. I thought, this is all nonsense. I didn't come here for this kind of craziness. I came here to learn about patient care. So I sat there looking at him on the platform, and he looked at me, and I realized my eyes are open. He knows I'm not doing it. I'll close my eyes. I'll trick him. But I won't do it. I'll just shut my eyes. But when I shut my eyes, and I'm an artist, I'm very visual, the images that appeared were unbelievable. And when we were done, I was a believer. Um, I know there are a lot of things, Bernie, that you've done with your patients and, and writing your books and a lot of wonderful ideas that you have for people. Now, our audience out there is basically made up of a lot of people who are hurting because they've suffered a loss in their lives, and they're wondering how to deal with it. Now, I want to start out by taking a couple of emails so we can tap some of this uh, information you've got. The first one is from Jane, and Jane says, My brother died three years ago. He died of a heroin overdose. The hardest part for me was the time that would pass, making it further from the last time I saw his face. I cried every day for my brother. Then I moved, and things got a little better. I did not stop thinking about him every day, but I could function. I am concerned because I'm starting to break down and cry again, 
and I am feeling alone. Do you have any suggestions? So he died three years ago and uh, of a heroin overdose. She she moved, and now she's starting what? to have problems again after three years. Have you got any thoughts on that, Bernie? For yeah. Me? I mean, my suggestion to everybody is basically the same, because... And, and this came from a friend of mine when I was not having a good day. She said, Bernie, what are you doing when you're hungry? I said, I go get something to eat. She said, yes, you nourish yourself. So when you're having a feeling that you don't like, you have to sit down and ask yourself, what nourishment do I need to bring into my life? And the way I put it is, you then don't get depressed about being depressed. See, supposing I said to this person, you know, being depressed is no good for you. It lowers your immune function, raises stress hormone levels, so you're making yourself vulnerable. Oh, boy. You know, then it's depressing to get depressed because I could get sick, Siegel said. But if you look at it, okay, how can this curse become a blessing? What can I seek in my life because of this pain? What does she need to look for and to do? It could be helping other people. It can be going to the animal shelter. It can be many, many things. But when you begin to use the pain to bring more compassion into the world, then you benefit as well as those who receive it. And I love that idea, Bernie. I mean, really mm-hmm. looking at it, re- instead of being afraid of that feeling or that right. crying, use it as a motivator. See, life is a labor pain. What Her job is to... Co- give birth to herself, become a complete human being. You know, I always say that there's so much talk about Noah, you know. Um, I'm talking about the Bible. Right. See, God says, go build an ark. I'm going to drown everybody. And Noah doesn't say, wait a minute. What are you doing to people? I got nice neighbors. L- let me make it a little bigger boat. You know, bring money. No. And to me, life is the problem. Death is not. Unfortunately, too many people do things like suicide rather than eliminate what's killing them and save their lives, Mm -hmm. you know, live their true authentic life. They end it. But what's hard is living, and it isn't unfair. When I ask a 1,000 people, is life fair, and they all yell no, I say, it must be. You're all complaining. Then they laugh. But it is very difficult. But if you've been brought up with how to deal with difficulties, which most parents don't do, um, uh, then, you know, you know, you can handle it. But if you haven't brought up with what I call mottos to live by, then you end up in this kind of a situation. I mean, in the darkness, not knowing what to do with yourself. And, you know, and my other is, and why it's sort of a theme in the book Buddy's Candle, I mean, if a brother showed up, what's he going to say to her? Hey, I'm really proud of you. You're miserable all the time, so I know you loved me. He's going to say, honey, my life was painful. That's why I was into drugs and addiction and ended up killing myself. I want you to enjoy your life. Don't use me as an example. Go have a nice day. Or an excuse also. I would make a sanctuary in her house, too, with her brother's picture. Uh So every time she walked by it, what's he telling her? Be miserable or, honey, lighten up and enjoy yourself. And I have this in my own home. As a matter of fact, one is a motto from a story enjoy yourself it's later than you think and to tell you where this came from um, the a doctor goes in because he sees it's not his patient but he sees it, his last name on the door he walks in and he learns it's a woman who just gave birth to a stillborn child and so he's a caring man and he sits down and talks to her years later he gets a letter from her 
she said, I'm in China. There's a plaque on the wall I can't understand. So I asked them to translate it. They said, enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. So I'm going to have another child. I'm going to stop grieving. And I thought of you and how kind you were. The doctor, as a matter of fact, took three months off to go and enjoy himself. But after my mother died, I walked in. We were cleaning out her house. Now, she lived in this house for 30 years. Never have I seen this on the wall. I walked into her den. There's a plaque hanging on the wall, Chinese. Underneath it, enjoy yourself. It's later than you think. Uh, I have no idea where that came from, except my mother. <laughs> that's amazing because it, because there are signs, aren't there? Yeah. See, that's look in for. my hallway, so I go by it every day. Plus, when you live in your heart, magic happens, and a whole host of other things. That Say that again, there. Bernie. I don't want to pass that mm-hmm. over. When you live in your heart, magic happens. Ha- magic happens. That's a beautiful statement. Yeah. And these are people fighting life-threatening illnesses and losses and all kinds of things. But they have learned from the pain. Um, and, and, see, most people would rather take drugs than change their life. And I mean that literally. When I started support groups for people to help them live a longer, better life and sent 100 letters out, I expected three to 500 people to respond to my letter because, you know, you'd share it with your neighbors and family. And less than a dozen women showed up. And that really taught me something, that I didn't know the people I was taking care of and their will to live. And so, again, I'd say those who listen to your program and want to become responsible participants in their life are a minority group. All the others would rather go to the doctor, say, I'm depressed, Uh, okay, here's a prescription, thank you, and they walk out. Me, it's sit down and talk. What are you going through? What's happening? Right. Use the experience. Don't just take a pill or have a drink or take a drug. That's interesting. Uh, we've got a, an email from Sherry, and she's one who's out looking, which is interesting with the Internet. She said, I was searching the web when I stumbled onto this site. I was desperately seeking someone something to ease the pain, the loss of my 32-year-old daughter, Alicia, who died October 3, 2009, yes, only two weeks ago. The silence in my home is deafening. It's so quiet that I can close my eyes and hear her voice. I feel like I'm hollow inside. They say that uh, this gets better with time, but I'm only getting worse by the day. Have you got any thoughts for Sherry? Well, another thing that I think is wise is to get a pet, Mm -hmm. you know, so that you have a responsible connection with something. You will live a longer, healthier life if you have a dog in the house. I mean, those are studies that are done. Uh, I'm sure cats can do the same thing. People have lived longer with goldfish in a nursing home, you know, or or giving them a plant to take care of. So, again, it's reconnect with life. I would also ask your daughter to show up in a dream or leave you a sign. I look for pennies. Uh, The grandchildren, I mean, my mother's grandchildren and great-grandchildren, see, after she died again, she left us pennies everywhere. So they started calling them pennies from heaven. (laughs) But it's... You know, the message is liberty and a God we trust. And Abe Lincoln reminds us, hey, life is full of disasters and tragedies. So look for signs. Because it's amazing to me when you meet with compassionate friends, you know, the parents who have lost children, the stories they tell you. Well, let me just share one. We were having a group therapy meeting in a building with an open window. And the woman was telling how her daughter was murdered but her daughter always collected and loved birds. 
and when the sister got married at an outdoor wedding, a bird interrupted the wedding, making such a racket they couldn't go on, and everybody said, oh, your daughter. When she finishes this story, in the window flies a bird. Now, we've been in that room for five years, never even had a bird bump into the glass. And, you know, everybody just sat there in awe. Oh, your daughter. <laughs> so I become a believer that consciousness is non-local and continues to exist even after we die. And let me say that, just one more sentence, that to me, the, the discussions of past lives relates to what I call the consciousness of the past impregnating a new being. So we are born with memories of what has preceded us. And boy, you talk about YouTube. I mean, we can show you examples of kids who are telling stories about World War II mm-hmm, and know names and, and places and people and blows their parents' minds. Uh, so again, I'd say the body dies, but the consciousness doesn't. So you can still reconnect through dreams um, and, you know, signs, so to speak, uh, when you can't talk to that person anymore. Okay, Bernie, so let's, let's, on that. In one nursing home, they put plants on the right side of the hall and said, water it, fertilize it, get it sunlight. On the other side of the hall, they said, we're decorating your room. The people who were given responsibility lived five to seven years longer. Wow. And, and, and responsibility for li- a life. For the, yeah. Uh, see, our connections are what keep us alive. Women live longer than men with the mm-hmm. same cancers. You know, it's not an accident. Um, when you're connected to something, your life has meaning, and you stay around. But I always say to people, don't live a role. You know what I mean? Don't be mama or the wage earner or, or whatever. Or the bereaved parent. Yeah, have an authentic life. Yeah, I think that's one of the things for our audience out there. When you're newly bereaved, it's hard to be anything but in that depth of loss. But as life goes on and as you move along, you find that you can start looking at your new your new life. It, it's almost before and after because there's a life, what you were doing before your child died or, or the, your spouse died or whatever. And then now what do you want your life to look All like right. after? You're creating, as we always say, Mom, the new normal in your life now. Your life is never going to be returned to what it used to be. It's going to be you're going to create a new normal and go on to the next chapter. Yeah, and I like that, Bernie, the idea of the true, authentic life that uh, that you can have. It's a, it's a wonderful thought. Well, how, what inspired you to write all the books you've written, and, and still you have a new one? Well, I think out. that, you know, and I say this honestly to many, many people as well as myself, we have nothing new to say. You don't and I don't. Now, what do I mean by that? I mean, let's look back at the last few thousand years. Mm-hmm. There were some pretty wise people who were very helpful but the trouble is that most people don't <laughs> look them up, if you know what I mean. Right. Whether it's Buddha, Jesus, Talmud, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Confucius, I mean, all these, you know, Mother Teresa's, Mahatma Gandhi. Um, do we look and say, what did they teach us uh, so we can get through loss and pain and difficulties? No, we don't. We have a disaster. Then, you see, we send an email saying, do you know what I could read? Um and what we need to do is educate ourselves before the tragedy. But I think what you and I and others accomplish is we make it modern, if you know what I mean. Right. right. Somebody may say, gee, if I pick up the Bible, I'm not sure what that parable means or what Buddha was talking about. Or So when we make it current and modern, it's easier for people. Then they can say, ah, okay, 
I call them natives and tourists, you know, that if you haven't had the experience, you're a tourist. But when the natives get together, whether it's reading books or sitting in a support group, yes, we've lived the experience and we can help each other. And part of what keeps me writing is, as I say, trying to make it pertinent and modern so people can say, okay, I know how to handle my kids. I know what to do with my relationship. Thank you. Um, and they're not reading some mythological uh, you know, story that becomes a problem for them. And also when you get together with the, uh, what did you call them, the, the, the tourists and the, what was the other? The natives. The natives. When you get together with the other natives, it gives you hope. Well, here's a wonderful story for all of you people listening from Thornton Wilder. It's called, um, oh, the pool at Bethesda. See? An angel appears at this pool. And if you're there when the angel shows up, you're healed of all your wounds. And one day, this doctor who's in great pain is there, and the angel comes. Oh, he's so happy. And he heads for the water, and the angel gets in his way and says, no, not you. Draw back. The doctor says, wait a minute, I'm a doctor, but I have troubles and pain too. And the angel says, without your wound, where would your power be? It's your melancholy that makes your low voice tremble into the hearts of men. The very angels themselves cannot persuade the wretched and blundering children on earth as can one human being broken on the wheels of living. In love's service, only the wounded soldier can serve. Draw back. And so the doctor starts home. And he really gets the message because people open their doors. He's walking by and yell, come into my house. My daughter's sitting in a dark room, won't talk to anybody but you. Come into my house. And he realizes if it wasn't for his wounds, he wouldn't be a good doctor. And I think, again, look what you two have done with your loss, you see. In love service, only the wounded soldier can serve. And that's what people need to do. Don't hide your wounds. You want to help the world? You know, all these people who call in depressed? I'm telling you, these are not things I make up. Put a bandage over your eye and go to the supermarket. Then everybody talks to you and tells you their troubles because you've got a visible wound. If you go to the supermarket, who knows my brother died of an opium overdose. Mm -hmm. My son was killed in an auto accident. Who knows? But if you have a visible wound, because this is a quote from a lady in Stop and Shop. She poked me in the back. And I said, what is it? She said, you are the only person in Stop and Shop who hasn't asked me what happened. Blew my mind because she had a bandage over her eye. Everybody is talking to her. Now, I have to say, don't lose your sense of humor because my response to her was, oh, I know what happened. I have an abusive spouse also. (laughs) She looked at me like, what? (laughs) But, you see, if you let the child in you die, that's part of what helps me deal with loss too. I, I don't lose my sense of humor. The kids and the animals, yes, they deal with loss, but then they get on and say, okay, how can I have a nice day tomorrow? When one of our sons, I learned, uh, he had a pain in his leg, get an x-ray, he's got a bone tumor. And I figured he's got about a year to live. He came to me at age seven and said, Dad, what is it? You're handling this poorly. Can you imagine a seven-year-old telling his father that? And I said, what do you mean? He said, we're trying to have a nice day. You want us to be depressed in our bedroom. We want to go in the front yard, and you want us in our bedroom. And, I mean, he gave me a nice knock on the head and woke me up to let's have a nice day today. 
I have to add, he had a rare benign tumor, so he's alive today. But the week of waiting for his surgery taught me an awful lot. Well, and he's saying, this is the only life I have. I want to live it. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Bernie, tell folks about some of your books out there, Faith, uh, Hope, and well, Healing is your yeah, latest. last one, Faith, Hope, and Healing. And here's another interesting comment. They are stories. Well, the subtitle tells it. Inspiring lessons learned from people living with cancer. See, the natives are telling their stories. After each one, there's a Bernie reflection. I have to say, I have a long introduction and a long conclusion, too. But there's a reflection. And that word also I'd like everybody to pay attention to. See, the ugly duckling is thrown out of his home. How does he survive? There's a tiger whose mother dies giving birth, who's brought up by goats. And when another tiger says to him, what the hell's the matter with you? You're not a goat. You're a tiger. Come with me. Where did they both wake up? See, the ugly duckling looks down into the clear, still water and sees, I'm a swan. He doesn't live his life resenting and bitter about his mother. And the same with the tiger who looks down and says, oh, yeah, I look like you. I'm a tiger. But it's a still pond. If you live a continued problem, and troubled and disturbed, you'll never know who you are and never reclaim your life. You have to quiet your mind and your life. Then you can look at the reflection and see, I'm a swan, and I know who I am now, and I still have a life, be it a tiger or whatever. That's that's great. Well, tell us how we can do that. Pardon? Give us some tips on how we can do that. Oh. If we're out there, we hear what you're saying, okay, we're ready, What? how do we do it? Well, it's the only thing we're in control of are our thoughts. Okay, you see, you're not in control of life and what happens, but what you think is yours. So I know I'm mortal. I mean, I've accepted my mortality. I'm going to die someday. So when things happen that I am unhappy about or I find painful, I say, okay, do I want to spend the rest of my life being miserable and depressed and unhappy and in pain, or do I want to move on? And so I keep the power of my thoughts and how I experience each day. And that doesn't mean I've got a wonderful life and every day I'm happy. Yeah, I, you know, as I say, I have my labor pains, I have my struggles, I have my troubles, but I don't focus only on them. So I find, as Norman Vincent Peale said to me one day, because we were in New York, and where I grew up, and I said, oh, it's so noisy here and so many people and the pressure. And he said, Bernie, it's not about noise. It's about rhythm, that some people love the energy of the city and others want to be in the country. So I'd say to people, find the rhythm of their life and move into it and realize when thoughts come up, you're in charge. See, as I say, the ugly duckling didn't spend his life complaining about his mother bitter, rotten, stinking woman threw me out of the house. And here's a quote, okay, from a letter I received. My mother's words were eating away at me and maybe gave me cancer. See, she never, when did she find that she was a beautiful person when she developed cancer and her life was threatened? Then she bought a red dress because her mother only dressed her in dark colors. See, then she began to see I'm a beautiful person. I'm not a failure. I'm not a disappointment all the things her mother told her. So, again, we're in charge of that, and don't wait for a disaster. You know, when people are talking about the loss of a loved one, so what happens when you get a life-threatening illness? Do you then say, oh, I think I'll cheer up now? Um, 
it, you know, you are mortal. Accept it. And think about how do I spend my lifetime and really pay attention to that. Now, you've got a, a wonderful book, 300. Well, Bernie, uh, people have got to go on your website because it's just loaded with uh, all sorts of. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of stories I've written, too, you know, um, that they can read uh, from waging a war against cancer or anything else, you know, that you empower your enemy. Like, if you only focus on loss, you empower the loss rather than getting back to life. And uh, just lots of things I've learned that are there. And Siegel is S-I-E-G-E-L, BernieSiegelMD.com. Yeah, it, it's really, there's just so much going on. I, I said to you during break, how do you do it all? I mean, let Bernie interpret your spontaneous drawings. <laughs> and, and Bernie, is, you were so at the forefront of all this. I mean, you were talking about changing your thoughts and changing your life and positive well, psychology way, way, way before yeah, anybody you know, else. Now, I'm not on all the famous talk shows with people yelling at me. You know, because I would say to people, see, you talk about loss. Um, Look at, uh, oh, what's his name? Christopher Reeve's wife. Okay, here's, you know, your husband becomes quadriplegic and then dies, and then she develops cancer. Mm-hmm. Now, if, I, if she came into my office, I'd say, what's going on the last few years in your life? Because it can make you vulnerable. See, studies show that loneliness affects the genes which control immune function. So people can get anything from the flu to cancer to lupus to when they are going through these kinds of experiences. And that's why it's important for them to look at their experience and work with it uh, rather than sit home, you know, in despair, all alone. Uh, it's to really get back into connections in life again, to keep yourself protected and healthy. And this is not about blaming people. And, and the, Bernie, I just went to a conference and they said that the fastest way to increase oxytocin is to hug somebody. Yeah. That's amazing. It, it also goes up when you pet a dog. Oxytocin and serotonin wow. levels go up when you pet a dog. As a matter of fact, I always say this to single women, because in one study, 40% of women said the man they married, they met walking their dog. So any single women out there, get a dog and go for a walk, <laughs> okay? You will improve your chance of finding a mate. But uh, it's just, again, you know, you can't separate yourself from your life. But you see, if you grow up with guilt, shame, and blame, you know, parents, teachers, clergy, you know, God punishing me. That's the craziness. And, and this is something I share with people. If you lose your car keys, does God want you to walk home? If your answer is yes, then okay. All the other losses, fine. Then God is doing this. But if you said to me, no, that's crazy. I go look for my car keys. Then I'd say, if you lose your health, look for it. Mm-hmm. If you lose a loved one, look for your life again. It's not God punishing or taking. You have lost something. So look for what you've lost to fill in your life. And in a sense, you can't replace the person, but you can find new meaning in your life, and that's important. And and, just, and in your book, uh, Buddy's Candle, I was saying, yeah. uh, talk a little bit about that book. Well, Why did you theme, write a, a, theme, a My mother had a lot of connections. I'm on the board of directors of Heaven as a consultant, And when I became a doctor, she got the angel of death to work with me. And the angel said to me, look, Bernie, if I'm at the foot of the bed, the patient's going to die. If I'm at the head of the bed, they're going to live. So help the families and, you know, do what's appropriate. Well, I did a lot of children's surgery. And one day I came back at night to see a child I'd operate on, and the angel was at the foot of the bed. So I always say to people, what would you do? And the answer is I turned the bed around. (laughs) And the angel said, Siegel, you haven't caused any trouble till now, but you don't understand. Meet me Sunday. I'm going to take you up to heaven. So 
So we go up to heaven on Sunday, and he said, I want you to watch a parade of all the children who died this week. And these kids are walking by carrying a beautiful glowing candle, white robes. I mean, they just look beautiful. And I was feeling so good about what I saw. And then I noticed there's a kid coming with a dark candle. So I said, hey, there's a kid with a candle. It's dark. And the angel said, oh, run up and light it for him. And I ran up, and it was the boy I'd operate on. And I said, Tony, I'm here to light your candle. And he said, Dr. Siegel, they do, but your tears keep putting it out. Uh-huh. Boy, that, that just freed me from all the grief and loss in my life that I was still hanging on to from parents and other loved ones. And um, I was into death, not life. But when that happened, I got back to life again. And then the angel said, look, I want to show you something else, too. These candles burn eternally. But when someone's ready to resume a new life, we put them in this room. And there were millions and millions of candles. And I said, wow. And he said, that's when they start to burn down. Each candle represents somebody's life. Oh, the big ones are kids and little ones are old people? He said, no. It has nothing to do with age. Some of the little ones are children. Some of the tall ones are old people. Do you want to see your candle? No, thank you. And then I understood, you know, and my message to people is don't burn out ahead of time, burn up. I mean, live your full life. And, and again, kids understand that. You don't have to live to be 77 to accomplish what you're here to accomplish. Mm-hmm. To quote a Hindu myth, which I often share with people, a seven-year-old is willing to give his life to save another person's life, but he must convince his parents and they have to agree he do this. And he says to them, consider this. Sooner or later, my body will perish at any rate. But if it perishes without love, which the wise declare is the only thing of permanence of what use would have been, and what greater love can my body merit than this act? And then the parents agree. And before he dies, I mean, they think he's going to die because the sword is raised. He said, let me be born again and again on the wheel of rebirth. So again and again, I may offer this body for the benefit of others. And then he bursts into joyful laughter. And of course, everybody stops what they're doing and gazes in wonder at his face. And to me, it's to say to everybody, how can you die laughing? I mean, it, it's, what are you here to accomplish? It doesn't take 95 years to do it. It could be done in five years. And if you want to live forever, love somebody. Uh, that's a beautiful thought. Well, Bernie, uh, tell us about this uh, 365 Ah, for the soul. That, you know, when I was saying we need practical, that's because there are 365 days in the year, but you don't have to read it in order. See, the unconscious, as I said, can pick pages for you. Consciousness is non-local. So what I like to do is grab the book and flip a page open, and boom, it's like what I need to know that day. See, there, there's some practical advice. At the bottom of the page are Bernie's solutions, S-O-U-L. So it gives you something to do to help you change your life. Because what I've learned is I I don't spend a lot of time lecturing uh, about information because I know people need inspiration. You need to know you're a divine child. Then go home and take care of yourself. Pay attention to what you eat, exercise, meditate, um, et cetera. Let's stop with that. You're a divine child. Yeah. I ask people, how would you introduce yourself to God? If you, I won't test you, but if you say it's me, God says, come back when you know who you are. What gets you right in? Not your profession. 
you know, or what you've known for. But when you look at God and say, hey, it's you or your child, God says, yep, come on in. And the best answer, this really happened with a high school student, because I was talking to a group of them, and uh, one of them said, tell God his replacement is here. (laughs) I loved it. See, he grew up with love. But, you know, while we're talking about loss, let me say that 70% of high school students in one study considered suicide. So love your kids. I didn't say like everything. Love them. Mm -hmm. Then they have self-worth, self-esteem, and don't become self-destructive. And studies show this. If you feel your parents love you, the likelihood of your experience a major illness by midlife was 25%. If you said your parents didn't love you in this study, 98% had a major illness. Wow. Go into an assisted living facility. Talk to 80, 90, and 100-year-olds. Say, did your parents love you? Almost every hand in the room goes up. And the opposite happens at the high school. So, so love your kids, whether they're here or not. Yes. Bernie, I think we're going to end on that note. And if you would like to hear more, just go to BernieSiegelMD.com. Bernie, you're such an inspiration. You have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.